How you doing, church? You good? Awesome. Well, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And we are in our series called You Asked For It, which is just a good reminder every week. If you don't like the topic, just remember, you asked for it, okay? And it's just a series in which we allowed on Easter, we sent out a survey and you could turn it back in and just tell us what are the main topics you want to talk about? What are some of the questions that you're navigating or things that you're curious about in the Bible? What is it that you want us to preach some sermons on? And so that's what this series is all about. But before we jump into it, I do want to look on the other side of that screen and say a big hello to those joining us at one of our prison campuses or our jail ministry in Northwest Ohio at CCNO, Belize Central Prison, and those joining us online. Come on, church. Welcome our church family. We love y'all. We're proud of you. Well, last week, Pastor Kyle did an amazing job with the first topic of uh, in the U.S. for it series. He wants you to clap for him right now. Can we just get that out of the way? I mean, don't you have a meeting to go to, or are you going to be here the whole service? Okay, so, so anyway, he did do a phenomenal job, and we answered the question, how do I hear from God? So if you missed that one, or how do I know that I've heard from God? Go back and watch that. It was amazing. And today, I get to teach the question that you want to know. In fact, over 60% of you that turned in that survey, this was one of your main questions that you wanted to know, and it was this, are we living in the last days? Are we living in the last days? And so it reminded me of a little joke that I heard one time. And so let me tell you the joke. There were two pastors and they lived across the street from each other. And one day they had decided to go out and they had decided they were gonna let people know about the destruction ahead. And so as they went out, they put signs in their yard. And one pastor, he wrote up a sign and put it in his yard and the sign said, turn around now while you still can. And the other pastor, he wrote a sign and he put it in his yard across the street and that, that sign said, the end is near. And about that time, a car rolled up and it was a group in the car and they rolled down their windows and they began to yell out the window at these pastors and they said, you religious fanatics, leave us alone, nobody cares. And they began to go ro roll off and as they went around the corner, you could hear the screeching of tires and then you heard a big splash. And one pastor looked at the another pastor and he said, do you think we should have just wrote Caution, bridge out ahead. <laughs> Are we living in the last days? It's a good question to ask, actually. Even the disciples wanted to know that, and they asked Jesus that very same question. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Jesus has been teaching the disciples about what's to come, what was going to happen. And then they say this in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? In other words, they wanted to know, are we living in the last days? When will this take place, they asked. And so to be honest, this is a tough topic to tackle in a 30 plus 15 minute message today that I'm gonna try to do. In fact, a few semesters ago, I taught 12 weeks of a class, a small group on the end times and loved every minute of it, but that's a lot of stuff to cover in our short time. And so the best, I prayed through it and the best way I knew to bring it to us today is I'm gonna answer your question with questions and we're gonna ask ourselves four questions today. And I wanna tell you those up front so you know where we're going today. Here's the four questions we're gonna answer today. Will Jesus come again? When will he come? 
what will happen when he comes, and what should we be doing until he comes? Is that fair? We're gonna answer those four questions today and in hope, answering the question, are we in living in the last days? So let's look at the first question to get together. Number one, will Jesus come again? Yes, great, let's go to number two. <laughs> so the answer is yes, but let me show it to you in scripture. In fact, in your Bible, this is talked about as one of the main topics in the New Testament. There's 27 books in your New Testament, in your Bible, and 23 of them talk about the return of Jesus or the end times. 23 of those 27 chapters reference this topic and teach us this topic. In fact, um, there's, there's many prophecies. Let's see if there's 300 prophecies. A third of them were about Jesus' first coming. That's what we talk about at Christmas time every year, right? And so then the second part, Jesus' return, there's two-thirds prophecies left to be fulfilled on that. So there's lots of information in our scripture telling us Jesus is going to return. Over 50 times, Jesus himself told us he was going to return, that he was coming back. I want to show you a passage in Acts chapter 1, because after Jesus was resurrected, the Bible tells us he spent about 40 days on the earth. He was busting through walls, and he was teaching the disciples and doing all these things. And then we, now he's going to ascend to heaven. And what's happening in Acts chapter 1, I want to show it to you. The disciples are watching Jesus ascend into the clouds, literally. And he's ascending to heaven. And this is what happens, because two angels end up standing with the disciples, but they don't even know it because they're focused on Jesus ascending. Acts chapter one, verse 11 says this. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. In fact, Jesus himself tells us that he's going to return. I want to show it to you. John chapter 14, verse 3, Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back, he says. Now, I want to pause there for a minute, because so often as we get into a topic like end times or last days or the return of Jesus, so often all we think about is the destruction and the judgment and all of the scary things that we've read or heard that we think are going to take place. But so let me give you a bonus question. Why? Why is Jesus going to return? Why does he need to return? Well, he tells us in this passage, and I do not want you to miss it. Look at it with me. John 14, 3, he says, I will come back. Why? to take you to be with me, because he wants to be with you. Why is Jesus gonna return? It's a love story. He wants to be with you, he wants to be with me. He wants to gather us and take us where he is. He wants to be with you, that's why he's coming back. And he told the disciples that. Now all that other stuff's gonna happen, but the reason Jesus is returning, his motive is because he wants to be with us. Then in Revelation chapter 22, the very last book in the Bible, in the very last chapter of the Bible, Jesus himself reminds us, behold, I am coming soon. Jesus is coming back. The angels declared it. The prophets declared it. The apostles declared it. And Jesus himself declared it. And Jesus is going to return for his bride. I promise you that. So will Jesus come again? The answer is... Yes, he's coming back. And so let's ask number two, and that is, when will he come? When will he come? Wednesday at one? No, no, just kidding. 
but he does answer it because the disciples wanted to know. Look what he says, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. What's Jesus saying? Not even Jesus knows. (laughs) So next time you read the book, about 88 reasons Jesus is returning in 88, that was a book, but then he had to rewrite it in 89, about 89 reasons Jesus is returning in 89. Well, we don't know the date, we don't know the hour, not even Jesus knows, so be really careful with that. But Jesus does tell the disciples something, there will be signs of my coming. You'll know when it's getting close. There's gonna be signs of the season. While we don't know the date and we don't know the hour, we can know the season, Jesus tells his disciples. And so let's read it together. Matthew chapter 24, and I'll read verses three through eight. You can also, this is also written in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, where Jesus is answering this question, what will be the signs of the coming, of the end of the age? He answers it in all three of those gospels, of the four gospels, but we're gonna read Matthew 24, verses three through eight. It says this, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, tell us when they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered like this, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you not, are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Why don't you look at your neighbor and just tell him it has to happen. It has to happen, it's gotta happen. But the end is still yet to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes, and in Luke 21 it adds pandemics, pestilences in various places. And then he gives us an important clue in verse eight. Jesus says something important here and he says this, all these are the beginning of birth pains. In other words, Jesus is likening the coming, the return, the end of time to birth pains. In other words, they'll get more frequent and more severe the closer we get. Now, not everybody can relate to the idea of birth pains in the room, but I can. I've actually had three children, and, and apparently Kyle can, because one time I was complaining in one of my pregnancies about how uncomfortable I was. And that man looked at me and said, I know exactly how you feel. I said, you know exactly how I feel right now. He said, oh yeah, one time in high school, they made us put on a pregnancy suit to know how you feel. I know exactly how you feel. Anyway. So, not all of us, but we all get the concept that Jesus is teaching us. In a pregnancy, is sometimes hard to tell in month one. You may not be able to tell. How many know by month nine, you usually can tell. And then when the birthing pains start, they start minimal and they're far spread apart, but they get closer and they get stronger. And that's what Jesus is saying about the signs of his coming. They are gonna increase and get worse the closer we get. And so let me just do this. Instead of telling you every sign he taught us, you can go read them. I basically summarized them for us. So there's three categories that he said would increase. Here's the first one. There's gonna be an increase in distress and disaster. 
He talks about wars and rumors of wars, that wars will increase and they'll get worse. He talks about natural disasters. The hurricanes will get worse, the tornadoes, the droughts, the fires. Every time I turn on Weather Channel, because that's what I do for fun, I watch the Weather Channel, and every time they're talking about records we're breaking. Records we're breaking with natural disasters. Why? Birth pains. Because we're getting closer. Because it has to happen, Jesus said. And so here we are, he talks about those. He talks about famines. He talks about pandemics. I think we can all relate to what I'm saying there. And then uh, also it goes on, the next thing that he talks about, so an increase in disaster and distress. Then he says this, there's gonna be an increase in wickedness and deception. As we get closer, wickedness and deception, he likens it to the days of Noah, actually. But there's gonna be false religion, that only rises, in other words, people are gonna claim that there's not just one way to heaven, one way to the Father, there's many different ways, different religions, different gods, different ways. That is not true, just so you know. There's one way, the Bible tells us, and his name is Jesus, and he is the only way to the Father. One way, so that, but it's gonna increase. It's gonna increase. This, the false religions are gonna increase. The falling away, Jesus says, is gonna increase. Those that were followers are gonna fall away, go back towards, the Bible says, wickedness and sin and walk away from following Jesus. Persecution is gonna increase. Those that decide to stand firm as we get closer to Jesus' return, there's gonna be persecution against believers, against the church, against the Bible, against God's ways, that's only gonna increase the closer we get. Jesus gave us this in this verse, and I wanna read it to you. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12. It said this, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And because of the increase in wickedness, in other words, people are gonna decide their own truth. Church, wake up. No, I don't decide truth. It's already written for me. And I don't get to decide what it was saying and what he meant. He meant what he said and he said what he meant. And so in this hour as we get closer, wickedness increases and all it is is people deciding their own truth. Deciding, do I wanna do what it says or don't I? Or do I wanna do part of it or do I wanna do all of it? There's gonna be this wickedness that increases the tendency to write our own new truth and decide our own new laws. And I'm just sharing, that's part of it. That's gonna increase as we go. But to be really honest, when I read that verse, that wasn't the part that scared me. Because honestly, I expect an increase in wickedness. I'm not alarmed or surprised by that. Jesus said it had to happen. It was gonna happen. I'm not alarmed by that, and that doesn't mean we give into it. But what really scared me was the next part that Jesus said, and he said this, and the love of most will grow cold. He didn't say the love of some, He didn't say the love of unbelievers. He didn't even say the love of many. He said the love of most will grow cold. And there's this moment that we're gonna see as the closer we get, we will see an increase of wickedness and a decrease in love. And we are watching that happen. And as believers, it's our responsibility because in that scripture, he says, so stand firm, stand firm. And as our responsibility as believers, we've gotta find a way to have uncompromising truth and unconditional love at the same time. We have to have both. And as the wickedness increases, we've gotta stand firm in truth. 
But as the love decreases, we've got to step up as followers of Jesus and love unconditionally. It's gotta be both. But Jesus said there's gonna be an increase in wickedness and deception as we get closer. And then there's this final one that I wanna share with you. And this was good news. This is the good, exciting one. And he says this, there's also gonna be an increase in the spread of the gospel. It's gonna happen. In fact, he said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. I love how he says that. In other words, what are we waiting on? The gospel to be preached to the, all the nations. And then, oh, it's time. Did you know we can accelerate that, by the way? I'm trying to do that right now with this microphone. Bringing him back accelerating it. I, I, I was thinking about that because that word he uses is, um, it will be preached to all the nations. Now be careful about picturing nations. We have 195 nations, but he doesn't mean geographical nations like you and I would think of nations. It's the Greek word ethnos. So instead of thinking geography, more think languages or, or people groups, tribal groups, and, and how we culture and interact. Think languages where there's 195 nations to reach with the gospel. Yes, Yes, that is true, but there's actually over 7,000 languages throughout the world that the gospel needs to be translated in and get into these, to the different language groups. And I'll tell you something, this was really exciting because I was looking at some partnerships with getting the gospel, that's what we do as church leaders, we're always looking for partnerships in this. And there's an organization called Illumination and when I went to their, I was looking at their content that they have of their goal, their strategy, their vision, so to speak. And what their vision is, this is exciting, by, they say by 2033, okay, that's 10 years, 2033, that they will have 95% of all languages, the full Bible translated for them. 95% of all of them. The gospel is gonna increase through that. And they said 100% of at least a portion of scripture in every language by 2033. Now, I'm obviously not setting a date, but I am telling you, there's, when we see the increase, like we, we are seeing an increase like we've never seen before in the history of the gospel being able to spread, and Jesus is doing that, and we are getting there. He's coming soon. I was thinking about this because the, the thing that'll happen is even though we have an increase in disaster and distress, an increase in wickedness and deception, at the same time, those things will cause an increase in the gospel. They're related to each other. As those things increase, it will force the gospel to increase as well if we'll partner with it. And there's no better example. I wanted to share a testimony of that um, with you as an example in looking at that. In fact, maybe you know about the war in Ukraine. Probably familiar with that. Well, in the beginning of the war, it started in February 2022. And at that time, I connected to a woman named Victoria. And Victoria lives in Ukraine. And her, her husband actually oversees the Ukrainian Bible Society. And what they've always done is get Bibles into the hands of Ukrainians and, and people, making sure the gospel is being spread. And so at that time, I connected with her just to pray for her, letting her know we're thinking about her, we're with them, we're praying for them. And we've been in contact for this whole 
whole time, all the way until now, I wanted to read to you the letter she most recently wrote me just a few weeks ago. She sends me updates, she sends me video, and the war is more disastrous than you can imagine, but the gospel is increasing at an alarming rate in the best sort of way. And so I wanna share with you this letter she wrote. She writes this, warmest greetings to you all the way from our unbreakable Ukraine, she says. We're still standing strong. We persevere and every day we pray, work, and minister towards the victory. We do believe that God will protect us and help us keep moving. And today I'd like to give you a brief update. Praise the Lord that we are all healthy and alive. How's that for an update? It's not easy to work, but we never give up. We go on no matter what, she says. And then she says, I'd like to send you a report on one of our recent trips to East Ukraine so that you could experience a little bit of what we're doing there. And then she goes on to say, last time when we arrived, we saw tired and blood-stained soldiers. And instead of having rest, they were washing their own clothes at night and they did it with their own hands. So we got this idea to buy a washing and drying machine. And some volunteers living in those areas took responsibility to collect all their clothes and, they've, and we've already bought and installed the washers and dryers, she says. So thank you so much for your help in this project. And then she says this, this is the piece I wanted you to hear. This time as always, we had many people who were thirsty for God's word, the Bibles that we hand out. Therefore, we are so grateful I want to pause as I read this sentence. I want you to remember, she's in a war-stricken country, separated from her husband who is this chaplain who is off giving Bibles and she's off also ministering and they have kids. I don't think we can imagine what she's living through, yet the sentence that she says is this, we are so grateful for an opportunity to distribute these Bibles to the military men and the civilians people that are living under constant nonstop shooting and shelling, and the word of God is what gives us hope. There's gonna be an increase in the spread of the gospel, and no enemy in hell can stop it from happening. No government, no people girl, nothing can stop the gospel from spreading. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen, and we get to be a part of that. And so, there's... This question that we're asking, are we living in the last days? Well, the signs are there. But I wrote this down and I wanna say it to you today. While we can't be sure that we are in the last days, you can be sure you're in your last days. <laughs> are we in the last days? Probably, I don't know. I'm in my last days. I know I'm in my last days. And Paul said, your life is but a vapor, it's a mist. It goes like this. And so here's what I've thought to myself, whatever I would do differently because we're living in the last days, whatever I would do differently in my life because I thought Jesus was returning Wednesday at one. <laughs> Somebody's gonna clip that and call me a false something, so y'all have to beg me on that one. You know I was kidding. Whatever I would do differently because I thought we were at the end, may I do it differently now because I am at my end. I am in my last days. My life is but a vapor, but a mist. And if I would do it differently because I answered the question that we are in the last days, I should do it differently now. 
And that's true for all of us. Here's the third question we wanna answer, and that is, what will happen when he comes? What will happen when he comes? And um, I, I wanna say there's a sequence of events that will take place that lead us to the return of Jesus. And so don't think of it as just one day, one event. There's a sequence of events the Bible shares with us that lead up to this point when Jesus returns and does what he's gonna do. And, and in that, I wanna share that sequence of events with you the best that I can in five minutes, which is nearly impossible. And so what I'm gonna do is teach you the book of the entire book of Revelation in five minutes. Do you think I can do it? No, <laughs> Pastor Kyle does not. Well, I can. <laughs> so here we go. We're gonna do this sequence of events coming from the book of Revelation. In the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, we find Jesus in chapter one, he's giving this vision of the end of time to John. And so he's getting the vision and he's getting the downloads of what's gonna come. And so that happens in chapter one and then we watch it transition and we watch Jesus give seven letters to seven churches. And in those seven letters to the seven churches which still apply to us today, he's giving them things they're doing right and things they're doing wrong. He commends them and then he corrects them. And so go read those letters, that's your homework. Go read Revelation one through three and see what Jesus said to the churches. And the truth is in that moment, he's preparing them for the return. He's saying, here's how to get ready for what's gonna take place. And so that's the first three chapters. And then we get to this first event that I'm gonna give you today and it's called this, the rapture of the church. Now I'll say this up front, not every Christian and not every theologian agrees with the rapture or when it'll happen. So can we say that from the out front? I'm gonna share my opinion because I've studied this in seminary courses, I've taught the classes, I've read all the passages, I've read books from different perspectives, and this is the conclusion I come to in sequencing and what the rapture of the church will look like. And since I'm preaching, I get to tell you what I think. So that's what we'll do today. But I will, of course, tell you from the out front, not everybody will agree with this, but the rapture of the church, for those that don't know what that is, it's the idea that Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna rescue. It's a rescue mission and he's gonna rescue the church prior to the tribulation of when the wrath of God will be poured out. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so that's what the rapture of the church is, that we will be caught up with Jesus and spend time with him and not have to endure the tribulation. Now let me show you Revelation chapter four, verse one says this. This. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. And then I want to show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because Paul teaches that this is where we get the rapture of the church. Paul is teaching the Thessalonians, Thessalonians this topic. And he's basically made it so clear to them, and they're so excited about it, and it's so glorious. He calls it the blessed hope. They're so excited about it that then they started to panic, and they had questions, and he had to write Thessalonians to them to answer their questions, because their question was, man, if we get to be a part of that, what about all of our family that has gone before us, they're gonna miss it. They don't get to be a part of it. And he's reassuring them of what it's gonna look like. And he says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, why will they rise first? Because they have six more feet to go. That's not doctrine. After that, we who are still alive and left will be, here's the phrase, caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. This is where we get our word rapture. The word rapture, and this is why some don't uh, subscribe to it. They don't believe it, and theologians debate this. They say the word rapture is not in the Bible, which is true, but the phrase caught up is. That's what Paul is teaching here. That phrase is harpazo in Greek. And what it means is to snatch out a forceful and violent pulling up and out of something, if that's what you want to picture. We get the word rapture from the translation of the Latin Vulgate, which translates it in a, in a word, and we get our word rapture from that translation. That's where the word comes from. This is the principle that Paul is teaching, that you will be caught up, that we will be caught up, the Bible says. And then he goes on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, and he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you. Why? Because we don't know. There's nothing to write. He doesn't know. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're not going to have time to think about this one. There, there's no decision making after this. You understand? It's the idea. It's going to come quick. Jesus himself talks about it in Matthew chapter 25. He said there'll be two men working in the field. One will be left and one will be taken. Now, as I studied that out, the theological conclusion I came to is Kyle's going to be left and I'm going to be taken. I told him, if I have time, I'll try to reach down and grab you. <laughs> this morning we woke up and he goes, oh good, you're still here. <laughs> I said, yeah, I got to preach the message first. <laughs> While people were saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, here it is, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, those that are followers of Jesus, he's saying, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you. It's the reason we're given this message now, that this will not surprise you like a thief. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And most that, that do believe in the rapture of the church, this is another turning point for them of we weren't appointed to suffer wrath. So the rapture of the church when Jesus rescues his bride, then it leads to the next sequence of events in the book of Revelation. Let me show it to you. It's called the tribulation. Now, I'm not going to explain it all today. We wouldn't even have time, but you're going to find it in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And I'll just tell you the thing about studying this out in Revelation is it, it, I think it was only a revelation to John. We're still trying to get it. In fact, you know, if you picture John when he's writing this, he only knows what he knows. So he doesn't know what a nuclear, nuclear bomb is. He's not seen helicopters. There was nothing. So he used terms like beasts and all these things to describe that he would have only known in that, in that time period that he lived in. So you always have to remember that. So it's, it is hard to understand Revelation 6 through 19. But it talks about this period, the tribulation. And what's going to happen is there's going to be somebody steps onto the scene. He's an influencer influential leader and then brokers a peace deal in the Middle East, which will then cause everyone to follow this one leader 
And then he basically allows the Israelites to build their, the Jewish people to build their temple again. You can find this all in the, the book of Revelation. And then what's gonna happen is gonna reveal himself as the Antichrist. And this is where you get the mark of the beast, the battle of Armageddon, all these things that maybe you've heard before. This all takes place in the tribulation period, which is about seven years that it takes place. Once again, I don't have time to teach it all today. If, you, if this interests you and you want more information, I brought some of my favorite books that I've studied on this. They're in the connections area. Feel free to stop by and look at them and study it on your own. But at the end of the tribulation, sometime after, the next event is gonna take place and it's the one we've all been excited and waiting for. And it's this, the second coming of Christ. In Revelation chapter 19 through 20, that's what comes next. Look at it, Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has the name written on him that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword to which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's coming back. Now the first time he came back in a really humble manner as a baby. The next time he comes, he's coming with all the armies of heaven at his side. The first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. The next time he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. The first time he came, everyone missed him. The next time he comes, every eye will see him. The first time that he came, they mocked him and insulted him and rejected him. But this time, this time when he comes, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the ruler of it all. He's worthy of all honor. He's worthy of all praise. He is who he says he is and he's coming back. And you'll confess it one way or another. You will say those words. You will. And so will I. And I'm asking you when. When will you say it? The next event that takes place sometime after that and I won't teach you about the, the supper of the lamb, the wedding banquet of the lamb. We're gonna have an amazing time celebrating together with our king, our Lord, and our savior. It's gonna be glorious. We're gonna have this time, and then this event happens, and the Bible calls it, in Revelation, the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 12 say this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's Jesus, the earth and the heaven fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And then it says something that could be confusing, but I'll explain it. He says, and the books, multiple of them, were opened. And another book, one book, was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, the multiple books. Now let me explain this to you in simple terms. The Bible says there's gonna be a book, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. 
And he's looking for all the names written in it. And the names written in the one book that Revelation said are those that have confessed Jesus as Lord. Here's what they've decided. Jesus, I don't wanna pay for my own sin. I'm gonna let you pay for it for me. I'm gonna allow your blood to cover me that you died and sacrificed for. They're gonna let the blood of the lamb cover their sin. And those that confess Jesus as Lord, the Bible says, are written in the book of life. But there's another group of books that will be opened. And in this book, the Bible tells these books, every wrongdoing, every sin, every mistake, every deed is written there. And the ones that are gonna, and the people are gonna be judged by all of those and it's gonna take eternity to pay the price for those sins. Well, what the Bible is saying is those that'll be judged by that are the ones not found in the book of life. If I'm found in the book of life, I do not have to pay for my sin. Jesus already did. But if I choose not to, let Jesus pay for my sin. Now I'm saying I want to pay for it myself. That's what hell is about. Bonus question when we say, hey, why would God send people? Why would a good God send people to hell? He's not. It's not the purpose of hell. What's happening is people have made a choice to pay for their own sin. And that's where we will, they will go. I'm not going. <laughs> they will go to pay eternity for sin. So let me bottom line it. Do I want Jesus to pay for my sin or do I want to pay for it myself? That's the question on the table. That's what the great white throne judgment is. Now there's another judgment seat. We won't talk about it today called the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the reward ceremony for the believers. There will be an accountability to what we've done and how we chose to live all of that in the best sort of way. But at this judgment, what we're looking for, am I in the Lamb's book of life or am I not? Is Jesus paying for my sin or am I choosing to pay for it? And that's what happens at the great white throne judgment. And then the next thing that happens in Revelation chapter 21 through 22 is this, the new heaven and the new earth. Meaning Jesus is gonna create a new heaven and a new earth and this is where we're gonna rule and reign with Jesus. And the idea is that there will be no more war, there will be no more violence. There will be no more destruction. There will be no more pandemic or sickness or brokenness. There will no, be no more relationship problems. There will be no more, no more. He makes all things new, the Bible says. He makes all things new. It will be new and it will be glorious and you and I will thrive there. The new heaven and the new earth. He's coming to do that. And so that's the, what's gonna happen when he comes. So let's answer our fourth question. And it's this, what should we be doing until he comes? Maybe I could say it like this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? What should we be doing until he comes? Two things, I'll give them to you. The first one is this. Stay right with God, not culture. I'm not even gonna teach and unpack this point because this was another question that you turned in on the survey and what you wanted to know was, how do I live as a Christian in today's culture? So Pastor Kyle, you have to, so the answer to that is come back next week and find out. Pastor Kyle's gonna teach you almost as good as I am today about how to live like that. But the whole point is stay right with God, not culture. Let me read this verse, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Peter said this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Do you catch the trend? 
over and over from disciple to disciple and apostle to apostle and prophecy to prophecy. He's coming and you're not gonna know and you're not gonna have time. Like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And he answers it. You ought to live holy and godly lives. In other words, I've already mentioned it. If you would do something different, if you knew he's coming like a thief and today's the day, do it. Are you living holy and godly lives? If no, stop it and start it and come back next week for the message on that. Here's the second thing, final thing. What should we be doing until he comes? Use your life to make a difference. I would say it like this. Build your life on things that will matter in eternity, not on earth. There's a difference. Every decision that you make, may it be motivated by the coming king. Every act of service you give, the money that you give, would it motivate you to do things differently? How can you use your life to make a difference? Because Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon. So what would it look like to use your life to make a difference, to use your gifts to serve the house and to serve people and to make sure the gospel is being spread, to use your money, to use your time, to use your relationship, to use your words? How would it look if you used your entire life to make a difference because Jesus is coming because he is? And in fact, Peter says it like this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. We all have something to offer to serve one another. You have something. Go to Connect Track. Find out what it is. Get on a team. Make sure that you're participating as a body, as a church, in making a difference and spreading the gospel. Here's what I know. When Jesus comes, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When he comes and he shows up, I want to hear those words. You did well with what I gave you. Well done with your words. Well done with your finances. Well done with your time. Well done with your service. Well done, good and faithful servant. You used your life to make a difference and spread the gospel. And you will be rewarded. I'm telling you, he's going to do it. I want to read this passage to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I love because Paul inspires us. And Paul, this was his favorite topic. He talked about it a lot, about the return of Jesus and how to be ready for it. And he's answering that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 52. I'll read first, and it says this. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. And then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your victory? Where, oh, death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to 
God. He gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and he's coming back. Are we living in the last days? I don't know, but you're living in yours. And Paul says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. He's coming back. And I'll let Jesus give you the final words of today's message himself. Revelation chapter 22. It's the thing that's written last in the last page of your Bible. Jesus himself says this, look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they've done. For I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is coming soon. And they answer him when he says that. They answer him in Revelation, the last words, and we're gonna echo them today. I'm gonna echo them today. And they say, and we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come soon. Come on, would you pray with me this morning? I wanna take a minute. We're gonna, I want you to stay still and stay put and engage in this moment because this is an important holy moment for some of you. It's the moment your name is gonna be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the truth is, and then we're gonna worship. We're gonna worship God in a moment of worship today before we leave and seal this in our hearts. But the truth is not everybody could say for sure that they've surrendered their life to Jesus. Maybe you've been living and you thought this was, you, you just hadn't considered that it could happen so soon that you wouldn't have time to think about it. And maybe you've been thinking, I'll do it next week or next month. I need to know more first. You don't need to know anything. What you feel is the Holy Spirit tapping on your heart. When you feel the tug, the woo, and you know this truth to be true. And Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. And he's making an offer to cover your sin so that you don't have to. And so if that's you in the room and you wanna say yes to Jesus, or maybe at one time you said yes to Jesus, but you know you went back and you lived your own way and you, what Jesus described as a falling away, you fell away from the Lord and you wanna come back today. If that's you in the room or online, I just want you to slip your hand up. I'm gonna pray right now in this moment. It's a holy moment, I see your hands. And right where you are, I just want you to pray this in your heart. Today, Jesus, I choose you. Forgive me of my sin. And I receive your gift of salvation today. I confess you as Lord and Savior, and I give you my life. Now, Jesus, would you write my name in the book and let me spend eternity with you. Holy Spirit, fill me and show me how to follow Jesus for the rest of my days. I surrender now. Thank you for life. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' name, amen. There were hands everywhere. Come on, give Jesus some praise today. So proud of you. And if you did make that decision, 
we wanna join you and partner with you and give you next steps. And so if you made that decision today for salvation, fill out a connect card and drop it in the offering buckets on your way out or go online and send us a message. We're gonna send you some resources today. We're so proud of you. Church, stand to your feet. Can we worship King Jesus in this moment? Can we let every devil in hell know that we are loyal to one King and one King alone? today. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile down upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And if you receive that, everybody say amen. Amen.